0: You know, sometimes maybe I don't read everything that's in the bulletin. I just kind of glance down through and I think, well, this is there, that's okay, this is all right. I'm not the greatest proofreader. I, don't, I, guess I, I guess I don't have to say that. So this morning we are looking at scripture, and yes, it is correct, um, and that is the Lord expects us to work. So let's stand together and we'll read uh, a verse or so of scripture. And this is going to be in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, and verse 9. And this is a part of the fourth commandment. And usually you hear the second part of that commandment preached on, don't you? But this first part is also a thou shalt. It's actually here, it's shalt thou, shalt thou labor. Uh, So here in verse 9, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Now do you remember I told you last week where the other place is in the first five books of Moses where uh, the commandments are listed, Uh, a little more words with them. Uh, But I won't make you take a test on it, but you also find the Ten Commandments listed over in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in Deuteronomy 5, it'd be verse 13. And Here it says, six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. So the Bible... Does command us, God expects us to work. So let's bow our heads for prayer and ask the Lord to help us as we think about this this morning. Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the direction that it gives to our lives. Lord, uh, we know that uh, there have been many things that have gone uh, amiss from what you have directed. We just pray, dear Lord, that you'll help us this morning. As we look at this thought, look at the direction that God has given, and ask, dear Lord, for your blessing on our time together, may we get good out of it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated for the message. The Lord expects us to work. So, my, my paper comes to me a day late. It's mailed to me from the Marysville uh, paper. Uh, I was reading the paper last night and uh, there, was, there were a couple articles in there that were pretty interesting and uh, I know that not everybody here gets a Marysville paper because you're not in the area. But uh, there was an editorial, uh, it said on June the 28th, 1894, Congress passed an act and President Grover Cleveland signed a law making the first Monday in September of each year the legal holiday that we call Labor Day. Uh, but things are greatly changed from that time to this because now uh, we know that bo- most businesses do not have enough help uh, in order to run their business. I went to the, the fire Uh, meeting over here at the community building and uh, they had the fire trucks and so forth and somebody was talking to me and they said, "Uh, we sure hope your grandson doesn't quit working at Bob Evans uh, because it takes so long now to get in there. They got all these empty tables and they don't have any waiters uh, to take the orders and uh, to bring the food out. Uh, so, yeah, there's there are a lot of businesses that are hurting. How about the articles in the paper last week, too, on the Marysville schools, that they're hurting for bus drivers. How about that? Maybe Janice needs to get back into that again and, uh, and ramrod that bus around the neighborhood and get those kids in school. Well, probably not, uh, but... Uh, Anyway, they're hurting for bus drivers. Um, so, uh, we do we need more people to come into the country? Do we need to bring in a lot of foreigners? Or do we just need people here in the country to go to work and to do what the Bible says? That uh, there's a time to labor. There's a time to work. There's a time to put your back to the test, to the task, and accomplish something. Now, when I'm preaching this this morning, I'm preaching to a lot of people that absolutely do not need to hear this sermon about a need to work because they're workaholics. Uh, They work and they work and uh, they do jobs that uh, are way beyond what you would expect them to be able to do. Uh, And all kinds of jobs that canning things up, freezing things, uh, taking care of hay, uh, gardening, uh, woodworking, uh, hardly any time at all goes to waste, and I can't name all the things that you're involved in, uh, but many, many hours that are spent and you would never think about being a lazy person. Uh, the scripture talks about a person that was a lazy person. Uh, and uh, that uh, when, uh, when they were, when that you went by their field, uh, that uh, it was all overgrown, that uh, it was it was neglected and uh, it was it was shameful uh what was going on there and uh the the writer of proverbs says that uh he went by this field and uh, and he viewed what was going on and uh so the scripture says uh uh that uh, there was there were there were weeds growing up uh there were problems that were that were obviously there because of neglect and uh as as they viewed as the field was viewed uh it was it was a tragedy and uh so The lesson was that you shouldn't be like that person. If you look in Proverbs 24, 30, you see this. It says, I went by the field of the slothful man, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles, had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth and thy want as an armed man. See, it's okay for a little while. You can get by with it. And then reality sets in. <laughs> and uh, you, da- you haven't laid anything back. You haven't provided. And, and suddenly you're at a point of want. And it comes on you at that point. It's, it's been building just like a pregnant woman. It's been building, but then suddenly the pain comes. (laughs) The pain of laziness sets in on you. And so we see so many in our society today that have their hands out. They want somebody to give them something, but they don't want to work for it. As long as they can get what they want. Without any effort on their on their part, uh, a little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands, they're okay with that. Uh, how about uh, how about the nurse shortage? You read about that in our local paper. Yeah, the nor- nurse shortage. Uh, that these nurses are finding out they can become a traveling nurse. and They can make. Some of them make up to 5,000 and more a week. Can you imagine that? Up to 5,000 and more a week by being willing to travel. And so hospitals are having to pay the big money out. And some doctors are saying, why am I a doctor? Why don't I become a nurse? (laughs) Because I'll make more money if I'm a nurse. Uh, Certainly, we see a lot of things that are upside down uh, from what would be the normal. Uh, And so yes, they're working. And so I can't say anything about that. They are working, but there are not others there that are ready to take their place and ready to step in and help. And so there's a nurse shortage also. Then uh, I thought about the uh, the things that go on as far as uh, what Paul talked about. Uh, Paul evidently ran into this kind of situation where people did not want to work. And Paul gave some very difficult instruction so that uh, people would know that they had to do something in order to uh, be able to be part of the group. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verses 10 to 12, uh, Paul addresses this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verses 10 to 12. and It says this, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Wow, that's pretty tough, isn't it? Somebody's without food. And I know there's a lot of good things that are done today. Sometimes I wonder how counterproductive they are when... We hand out and we hand out and we hand out. Yes, I know we don't want kids to go hungry, but a lot of times adults get the food or get the money and it's misspent and misused. And sometimes it encourages people not to get concerned and be involved. If, if they won't work, then they should not be able to eat and something about when your belly button is rubbing a blister on your backbone that makes you get kinda serious about doing something about it. That you think maybe maybe I should do something, whether it's the the greatest paying job in the world or not. We used to have a saying when I was Uh, working uh, in automotive repair because sometimes you wouldn't have the customers coming through the door that you wanted and some of the jobs that you like to do. And the saying was, a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. A little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. And so you take what you can and do what you can with it to try to multiply it and make something happen with it. So if they don't work they should not eat for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. Have you ever noticed when people don't have to work how busy the riots are and the protests and uh, people just have all kind of time. They They can go on the Facebook, they can spread all kind of tales, and of course, we're getting all kind of influx of uh, things from foreign countries that are trying to make our leaders look bad, the ones that are doing a good job. Uh, They say, they walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies, ooh, busybodies, They're not working, they're just running their mouth. They're running their mouth, and they're running it about everybody and everything, and don't wait until you know if it's true or not. You want to be the first one to spread it. You want to be the first one to get the word out because you want people to know you've got your finger on the pulse and you know what's going on. Only thing is, a lot of times, those things are wrong And we jump to conclusions. Now them which are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ. That with quietness. Wow. With quietness. If you're in public work for a while you hear a whole lot of things that are anything but quietness. All kind of of criticisms and mouthiness that goes on that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing." So, uh, we need to be about the jobs that God has given us, provided us to do, and do the best we can to glorify and honor Him with our lives. Uh, So, You know, and we talk about work outside the home, but work inside the home is very important. Uh, Very, very wonderful when uh, people are keeping the home and uh, make it presentable, make it uh, comfortable, uh, try to do the best they can. And uh, I'm amazed all the time at uh, some of the, some of the cooking that goes on and the skills that people have in cooking you know I don't know a whole lot about it I I knew slow cooker uh, and throw in some stuff and probably only that because Janice told me how to how to do it to feed my four hungries and uh, somebody laughed about how we went to the store because we went to the store I'd tell the kids if we've been going through Mosiers, I'd say, well, whatever you want to eat this week, throw it in the cart. <laughs> and that's the way. That's the way it went. Uh, but my goodness, some of the, some of the, uh, homemakers, the the recipes and the and the special things that you put together, uh, wonderful things indeed. Um, you know, one man complained to his wife. Uh, he said, uh, you don't make biscuits like my mother. And she said, yeah, you don't bring home the dough like my father. So, it <laughs> so, goes both ways, doesn't it? Uh, so, uh, the Lord expects us to do what we can to put ourselves work and try to improve ourselves and try to make things better for those that are around about us. Uh, you know, Paul set the example in in the book of Acts, chapter 20, and verse 34, he was meeting with uh, those uh, as he was on his way to Jerusalem. said he wasn't going to see them anymore. Uh, and we have a verse that that Paul used here, that is, we do not find in the Gospels. Once in a while, you come across a verse like that. Um, so, Paul is talking about this, and we're just going to look at uh, 34 and 35. Uh, yea, this is Acts 20, verse 34 Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. So he, he also helped other people that were traveling with him. Maybe, you know, the scripture tells us Paul was a tent maker, which took in a, a, a wide variety of skills that he was able to perform. That's how he supported himself when he was uh, an itinerant evangelist, when he was traveling around. He could, he could do this work and this was worth money that he could survive and help those who were traveling with him. Uh, so it ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring. ought yeah, to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said... It is more blessed to give than to receive. So here in Acts you see red letters that are a saying of Jesus. And it is preserved for for us by Paul. Uh, Another interesting thing that Paul shared with the people who he had oversight of is found in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and here he says in, in 4.28 let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. You see it's not just the idea of working for yourself it is the idea of working so that you can have extra to give to the person who is in legitimate need. And so uh, we do wrong if we hoard to ourselves the blessings of God. And so uh, Paul said it's not just the idea of straightening up your life and not not uh, doing what's wrong. Uh, you heard about the guy that was asked what he did for a living? He said, he, said he, he worked spot and steel. And they said, oh, you're a welder? He said, no, I spot it in the daytime, steal at night. Uh, spot and steel. So uh, Paul said, we can be done with that, but then work and earn your way to give to the person that is in need. So, uh, God expects us to use our abilities and our talents, and a lot of times we may be lacking in in talents or abilities. We we can't do some jobs. So I was not trained uh, in school how to be a mechanic. Uh, I learned that in the shop that dad had and in the outbuildings that dad had. I remember uh, learning some hard lessons on, on how to take things apart and work on things. Uh, yes, I would, I would read books and so forth, uh, but my school, Westerville High School, did not have any class for those that were aspiring mechanics. They had woodworking. And so I asked Mr. DeCenzo, uh, "Could could I do a report on how the internal combustion engine works?" Yeah, I could do that. He I, he said I could do that. I could give a report on that instead of woodworking. And so I gave a very good report on how the internal combustion engine works and the timing and the cams and the and the crank crankshaft throws and. All those, just basic at that time. And I got a D on it. <laughs> I said, Mr. DeScenzo, why did I get a D? I thought, I thought I did a good job. Oh, he said, yeah, you did a good job, but it's not, this is not mechanics. This is woodworking. <laughs> so so uh, he gave me a D. Uh, and, uh, so, but it was worthwhile to me, uh, even though I got a D. Uh, because I, I studied, I learned some things, and then uh, father taught me a lot. I remember one time uh, that the Chevy had a burned valve. The cylinder head had to come off, as I recall, and I was putting the cylinder head back on. Didn't know anything about a torque wrench. All I knew was take her down tight and make sure it's tight. Probably didn't even know any, anything about sequence tightening, at which you're supposed to do a sequence on tightening cylinder head bolts. Uh, so I took her down tight. I took her a little too tight. I broke a head bolt. And that meant the head gasket would be ruined because I had shellacked it. And that meant, yeah, it's not funny, man. I had to, I, had, I was gonna have to take that cylinder head off. I was gonna lose the head gasket and Father came home, and I said, I broke that head bolt, putting that together. He said, he said do you have the bolt? I said, yeah. He said, well, let's look at it. Uh, Father, if you were trying, Father was very understanding, very uh, helpful. Uh, he, so he made a thing up, a kind of a fulcrum, to put pressure on the head of the cylinder head bolt push down on the head bolt. Then we took a end wrench and unscrewed the bolt against the pressure and it had an edge on it. It caught the broken bolt down in the bottom and it unscrewed it, brought it up the top so I didn't have to take the cylinder head off. Um, and then a magnet would bring it out because it was, it was all free. Uh, so a lot of things I learned, I learned the hard way. And it was it was by taking things apart. Sometimes uh, we junked cars. So there were a lot of times there were things that it didn't matter if you got them back together right. It was going to the junkyard anyhow. And we parted metal out. Do you remember us burning coal cars in the driveway, sister? Out, Out in front of the... Of the uh, house that we lived in, which was actually a two-car garage, that Dad had intended to build a house later, but never, never lived to do that. Uh, but uh, yeah, we used to we used to burn old cars because you get more money out of the sheet steel, and uh, and a car will burn very very hot <laughs> because you got the rubber seals around the doors and all this. Uh, so, yeah, I could tell you about working on windshield wiper, vacuum motors. Do you remember that, ladies? Vacuum windshield wiper motors that you would push on the gas, and the windshield wipers would quit because the engine was using the vacuum, and the wipers couldn't keep going, and they had a little motor there that would that would help and over, overcome that a little bit. And so... Uh, yeah, I never did figure that out, how that thing worked. But uh, I took it apart and saw the valving in it and all that, but I never did figure out how the thing worked. And then, and then they did away with that and went to electric windshield wiper motors. So I didn't have to know anything about that. So, yeah, some things are beyond us, and we don't know how. So, uh, uh, when it comes to uh, some things, uh, we have to seek outside help and people that are specialists in doing special special jobs, and so we do the best we can. And then at that point, we have to we have to find somebody that has the special equipment, the the special milling equipment, boring equipment if it's mechanical, uh, welding equipment uh, as all kind of things, if you're talking about uh, electric stoves and things like that, it's beyond us, we need help. Uh, some things we cannot we cannot do ourselves, we need help to accomplish. And some things in this natural world we cannot do ourselves. Uh, it takes God's blessing and God's help for us to accomplish it. So, of course, good old Timothy Butler, 99 years old, you know, I've teased Timothy Butler before because I'd cut hay and and then it would rain and you couldn't get the hay baled because the hay was wet. And I'd say, Timothy, uh, I'm going to bring my hair dryer down here and I want you to go out here and, and dry the hay since the sun's not out and let's get this hay dried so I can get it baled. Well, of course, that was foolishness. You can't do that. What does it take? It takes God, doesn't it? It takes God to do it. Uh, the sun needs to come out. The wind needs to blow a little bit. Uh, of course, the rain needs to go away. And and then uh, you make hay while the sun shines, is the old saying. And so you're able to bale the hay. It takes it takes the blessing of God. And as hard as we want to work, we know that it is not within ourselves that we can earn. Salvation or work for it on our own. God expects us to be the best people we can. He expects us to apply ourselves to tasks that we are able to accomplish. But when it comes to salvation, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 <clears throat> that it is God who is the one. Who does the work in us. And it says in chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in then. So we're not saved by works, but when we're saved, we're supposed to work. When we're saved, we're supposed to work. That will not earn us salvation. It will not earn us standing. It will not make us something beyond what God's grace is able to do in our lives. But we are saved through faith, by grace, through faith. So faith is the avenue to reach that grace. We have to believe God. We have to believe God, believe that God is true. And so we get the grace when we believe God and put our faith in him and realize that it's not of ourselves. It is God's gift to us. And so uh, we need to follow His rules and His ways. Uh, He tells us that we are to be saved. He tells us that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice unto Him. Um, And when we do this, which we call being sanctified holy. Now you'll you'll hear different ones talk about sanctification being a process. And sanctification is a work wherein you are getting closer to God and becoming more what God wants you to be. Uh, And there is a process to sanctification. Even for those of us that believe in being saved, that is instantaneously coming to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Uh, Old things have passed away, all things become new. Uh, we are we are created in Christ Jesus, as this says, unto good works, and we're made different people because of the grace of God. And then we see that God wants us to open our lives totally to Him. It's always interesting to hear Doctor Perdue talk about this, isn't it? Uh, who was raised in a, non, a non-Christian home? Father was a drunkard, and <clears throat> Nelson Purdue didn't know really anything about Christianity until Christians started to show the love of God to him when his sister was killed in an accident where the father had run over the little girl and the church brought food in and then Nelson's father told Nelson that he needed to go to church to pay the church back. For their kindness and that's where Nelson got introduced to salvation so he got saved he didn't it's interesting to hear him tell the story I'm not going to retell it this morning because hopefully we'll have Nelson back here and he'll be able to tell it himself but then he realized there was something that not was not quite right in his life he he was saved he was he was forgiven he was on the way to heaven, but there just was something that was not quite right in his life, uh, evil evil tempers and problems that he could not deal with, and he, and he found out he could come in entire sanctification and asked the Lord to take all of him and pour the Holy Spirit into his life in the Spirit's fullness. Now, everyone that's a Christian has a spirit but not everybody has the fullness or not everybody knows the indwelling of the holy spirit and so nelson found that out and the scripture the scripture tells us that god has a plan for us to follow that we should follow that in our lives that yes we need to be saved and yes We need to be sanctified wholly to the will of God. But when I said some teach that sanctification is a process, it is because you can be sanctified wholly but that does not preclude growth. You still grow in the things of God. And it doesn't matter if you made two trips and you're saved and sanctified. There's still growth, and there's still an openness openness to God and his leadership. And in the growth, there's times when we have to say, I messed up. I'm sorry. You may have to apologize to another person and ask forgiveness for speaking out of turn. Uh, You may have done something through impatience. Uh, You may have done something... Uh, by omission. Uh, The Lord is able to help you with those things and draw closer to Him. So it's not just a matter of, oh, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, that's it, I've, I've arrived. No, you haven't arrived. You're not in heaven yet. And so, day by day. So we need to talk to God every day. We need to read our Bibles every day, whether we understand everything that's in them or not. We need to read them. And we need to ask for God's leadership and God's direction. And he leads his dear children along. We need to follow his rules in our lives. And whether the world is following those rules or not is immaterial. It's our relationship with God that we need to be mindful of. And that we cannot choose our own way We didn't get into the grace of God by works, and we can't make the rules after we get in there. There's some things we have to say, no, I don't believe in that. No, I don't watch that. No, I don't go to those places. We need to have some standards, and we need to do things God's way. I thought about a story in the Old Testament about Aaron's boys. Do you know about Aaron, the high priest, Moses' brother? <clears throat> the scripture tells us that they were privileged individuals. Uh, if you look in Exodus chapter 24, <coughs> we, we read about their privileged status in Exodus chapter 24. And it says this, that, and I'm trying to get these pages apart so I can read this for you. Exodus chapter 24, and verses 34 and 35, and something's not right there because that's not coming up right. Exodus 24, 9, is what I should have said, 9 to 11. Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu. Those were Aaron's eldest sons, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. And... Upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. They also saw God and did eat and drink. Now, I know you're saying nobody's seen God and lived, but they saw the glory of God as Moses saw the glory of God on the mount. They saw this glory. They were part, this Nadab and Abihu were part of this special gathering to come up before the Ten Commandments were given. And the Bible says that something terrible happened to them because they did not follow the rules that God had laid down. And you find that part of that episode in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. He told them not to do that, but they did it. (coughs) They were supposed to take fire from the brazen altar, which was holy fire. We don't know where they got this fire, but it was fire. They put it in their censers, and they went before the Lord. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. It was a a terrible thing, because Moses told Aaron, you're not allowed to to grieve for them at this time because they have violated the commandment of God. And if you read the account there, I'm not going to read it for you this morning, uh, Moses forbade Aaron, and Aaron had two other sons. They were not allowed to show their extreme grief because Nadab and Abihu had been stricken of God because of their disobedience. Yes, I don't doubt that later they did grieve, but not at that time. And so, you say, that was pretty pretty strict, pretty tough. Well, sometimes we look at God's law and His direction. Yeah, we're not saved by works, but God expects us to walk in His law and do His will. And God will hold us accountable. Sometimes we get kind of loose. With what God has told us to do and what God expects of us. And we start to make our own rules, start to make our own pathway instead of following God's pathway. And when God lays down rules, He expects us to follow them. And if we don't, we certainly will have to answer for that. May not be an extreme way like this, but I would not want to stand before God and be condemned. Because I did not follow his direction in my life. So, yes, there's some things we can do. There's some things we can't do that we need help with. There are some things that we have to realize it's not our way, it's God's way. And we need to do it God's way and follow him. Will you stand with me this morning? you know what, I want you to sit down again. That's different, isn't it? I'll just hold up on the organ a minute, sister. I want to tell you something else. Just sit down again. <clears throat> you know, sometimes um, we think we know and we don't know. Then we find out we need help. Then we don't realize the extent. I read a, I read a thing about uh, Henry Ford. Uh, You know, Henry installed the first moving assembly line on December 1st, 1913. (coughs) He did that uh, in mass production, for the mass production of an entire automobile. It reduced the 12 hours it took to build a car to one hour and 33 minutes. Wow, (laughs) big time difference, isn't it? This was in Highland Park, Michigan. Evidently, later on, when Henry Ford was going to build the Model T, and I don't have all this down uh, exact, but the Model T was was built in Dearborn, Michigan. It was not built in Highland Park. Uh, The Model T had a great 20 horsepower, it, it was a real powerhouse. Uh, it was called Ten Lizzie and other other names were given to it. Um, <clears throat> when uh, Henry Ford started the assembly line for this, uh, there was a person by the name of Charlie Steinmetz. Uh, he was terribly, He was a terribly deformed dwarf, a terribly deformed dwarf. And Henry Ford knew him, that he was a genius. Uh, He knew more than most others did about electricity. And uh, he was hired to build the vast generators and machinery to run the Dearborn plant. Uh, Then uh, when things were in production and Henry Ford was making his uh, thousands and thousands, it would be millions today, the line stopped. We know, we that have worked for Honda know what it means when the line stops. It means the Japanese come out of the woodwork, folks. You don't think they're there, but they're there. And they come out. Because every time that line was down when I was working, for one minute it was $10,000. Because you got all these people standing there. Amazing. Well, it wasn't like that then, but it was costing Henry Ford money. So the line stopped. Henry called in mechanics and helpers and tried to get the line going again. And they failed. They were unable to do it. Henry called this Steinmetz that had put it together, Charlie Steinmetz to fix it, this dwarf. And uh, so the story is he fiddled around with this gauge. Uh, He uh, tinkered around with that motor. Uh, Then uh, he tried that button He did a little rewiring, he tinkered around with another switch, then he threw the master switch and in a few hours the line ran. He had the line going again. Well, he was done, the line was gone, Henry was making his money again, Charlie Steinmetz sent Henry Ford a bill. for $10,000. Ford could afford it, Uh, he was able to pay that, but he didn't like to pay that, he didn't want to pay that much. And uh, so he sent the bill back to Steinmetz, to Charlie Steinmetz. And uh, he said uh, that was an awful lot of money uh, for a little bit of tinkering for him to pay that, kind of exorbitant price. So Charlie Steinmetz took the bill and redid it. And he wrote on the bill that for tinkering with the motors, he reduced that to $10. And then for knowing where to tinker, he charged him (laughs) $9,990. Folks, we don't know at all. God does. And we need to trust him and do what he says because we don't have the answers and he does. And we better follow his ways and his wills. Now you can stand with me again. Aren't you glad I had you stand? Because some of you are getting a little drowsy and I wanted you to hear that good illustration. Bow your heads with me. If there's a need of prayer here this morning, we want to pray with you. If, you. if you slip from where you need to be, God loves you. You can't work your way into heaven, but you can certainly put all your faith and trust in Him and then live obediently. It's called walking in the light as He is in the light. Lord, we wait before you this morning. If there's a need here, we don't lightly go through this time of our service for we know dear Lord that this is why we come together to make sure that needs are met we just pray dear Lord this morning that you will help us as we look at our hearts to know are we doing it our way or doing it God's way and if we're doing it our, our way help us dear Lord to quit that and start doing it God's way and being obedient to him Anybody like to raise a hand, say, pray for me. I have a need, I see that hand. Anybody else, I see that hand, that hand. I see that hand and that hand. We appreciate that. You acknowledge your need before the Lord. Dear Lord, we know that you do not send us a bill for your grace, for your mercies to us. We could never pay for what you do for us. But Lord, we do realize that what you do for us, we cannot do for ourselves. But we can be obedient. We can walk in the light. I pray you'll help us to do that. Lord, that anybody that would hear the claim of God on their life, that they would say a yes, that they will follow, that they will be obedient. And Lord, if it's repentance, if it's opening our lives totally to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, if it is day-to-day progression of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ that we would do that. I ask dear Lord that you'll go with us as we go our way. I ask dear Lord that you'd have your hand upon each one of these that has raised a hand and ask for special prayer. And we pray that prayer for them today Jesus that you would come near to where that need is help them to feel your precious presence which no other thing that we can do or other person we can talk to can ever equal and that is that Jesus loves us and Jesus is on our side have your hand upon us we pray upon all these needs get glory to your name help us to be what we ought to be We ask all these favors and your blessing and special benediction in Jesus' name. Amen.